welcome to the In General Podcast. My name's Jack and I'm joined with Chris Pugh. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing good. I'm in a hotel room in London and, uh, yeah. And now here you are ta- talking to yourself. That's sort of what it feels like. <laughs> this is episode 74 of the podcast. It's been a while since we have done this, but uh, it's good to speak to you again. I mean, I did see you last week. Yeah. Always no, good we- to hear your voice. We, we had a uh, fun, I mean, it was just even a few days ago, not even just last week. We were together uh, up until quite recently. We were. We spent some time in London together. Been a blast. Lots of adventures. <laughs> it was good fun. And you got to do the classic tourist stuff as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you took me to all the proper places. <laughs> was, was this your first time uh, across, that's what they say, right? Across the pond? Uh, yes, it is. My first time in London, first time in the UK, first time in Europe. You know, however you look at it, it's my first time over here. Wow. You know, I've done some traveling, but not in this neck of the woods. And what did you think? I am loving it. You know, I'm still here, actually. Uh, I made it like a 13, an over 13 day long trip, and uh, it, it's been a blast. That's great, man. Well, yeah, I had a lot of fun when we were there. So, um, I mean... I think people are probably going to be wondering, what were we doing in uh, London? Riding the London Eye. <laughs> we, we did do that. No shame in saying we rode the Coca-Cola London Eye. It's such weird branding, especially because I did not see anything <laughs> Coke-related other than that name around. Well, it's just strange that... Well, I, I don't know. I don't remember it being called that. It must have been in the past few years. Damn um, corporate. But it was, yeah, big and red. Everything was red and branded with Coca-Cola. But the thing they missed out here is, you know, everybody gets a free Coke when you go on, on the London Eye. Pay enough for the tickets, you get yeah, a free really. Coke. Yeah, try, try to sell it to you or something. I'm surprised that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyhow, um, that is not why we went to London. Um, we went to London to explore the London Dungeon. The London Dungeons, conveniently located... Next to the London, to the London Eye. Eye and Shrek, and... <laughs> dude, I can't believe Shrek has its own. Still, after all this time, Shrek has its own. What do you call it? Exhibit in London? Well, yeah, in Permanent London of exhibit? all places, it's like not like a theme park or something. So why is Shrek in London? Like, I don't. I, it, it's confusing. I almost wish we did it. I I, I know we probably should have. I think that would have been funnier. I mean, the London Dungeons is good. I, I needed you to experience that because of how... I know you love Universal and yeah. the kind of walkthroughs they have there. And it's very similar to the Walking Dead one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, I felt like it was longer, a little more... Uh, the Walking Dead one, he's kind of breezed through. It's like, oh, yeah, it's cool, but you don't have like those room-to-room stories. And I really enjoyed sort of the expanded storytelling aspect. It was pretty yeah. fun. Like, yeah. for the parts like Jurassic Park. Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, I mean, switch it out, yeah. It, you've still got a river ride. It's like a little boat ride. Yeah, that no, was pretty it, cool. Yeah, got you know beheadings, cheesy photographs. It has the, it has everything you've <laughs> ever wanted. But I have to admit, whenever I experience, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever I experience a ride like that, or or an exhibit, or or a park like that, I always, and I think most JP fans are the same. You just can't help but think, oh, imagine if Jurassic Park had something like this. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it just. There's so much possibility. Hopefully, uh, that's another podcast for another day, but hopefully the theme parks kind of go down that route at some point. Um, yeah, well, it remains to be seen what's going to happen with uh, the ride at Universal in Hollywood. 
Well, I mean, we know that it's pretty much the same ride, just with a Jurassic World overhaul and a refresh on some of the uh, dinosaurs and sort of the story itself. But overall, it's like you know, the same skeleton of the track and everything along those lines. Yeah, which is which is good. I think yeah. um, I, I love that original ride. I wrote, wrote it for the first time at JP25, which is horrible to admit. But uh, I, I, even though it's, you know, the animatronics are dated now, some of it seems a bit like it really did need a refresh. Oh yeah, um, it's still the most enjoyable ride, uh, ride I went on. Well, it's because all the other rides are like screen based and just like mo- motion sickness, like the recipe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like uh, like the mummy. Mm-hmm. Well, the, yeah. the, the mummy was really cool because I like I like cool. the mummy. Um, Harry Potter should... was fun as well. Yeah, you should ride the mummy in uh, Florida. Um, it, it's longer, I like it right? even more in Florida. It's it's different there. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, I really, I wasn't a fan of The Simpsons, and I wasn't a fan of Transformers, uh, another one of those rides. No, The so. Simpsons was, um, that made me feel sick. Yes, both both those made me sick. Um, so <laughs> Was it Transformers, these, you say? Was uh, that the Transformers, other one? yeah. Yeah, that, that one too. That was the one where you're flying through skyscrapers and jumping it, off them and stuff, it's right? It's funny, because it was kind of like the Spider-Man ride in the Florida park, but like, motion sickness version with transformers rather than i don't know i like the spider-man ride more even though it kind of reminded me of it yeah but i mean none of them have anything on coca-cola's the london eye (laughs) not at all (laughs) so um i mean london so what were we doing in london well um we were staying at the re shoreditch the regret (laughs) (laughs) yes that is no wait wait wait. was it shoreditch it was now? Shoreditch, yeah. Well, it was Shoreditch, but it was enough away from Shoreditch to, to kind of... It was Bethnal Green, really. Okay. Uh, you know, it, the hotel was called the Re-Shoreditch. And I guess... Uh, w- uh, would you recommend it, Chris? Uh, you know what? From comparison to my other hotel now, yeah, I would. But it's dramatically overpriced. Yes, for a hotel that's claiming to be four-star, has a lovely interior, but... I mean, it was just... It felt like a facade. It felt like a front for something else. Because (laughs) not many of the staff members seemed to know um, what was happening. (laughs) Or uh... It just felt like the Twilight Zone. Like We kind of felt like we were dealing with people emulating the best they know about human beings and the best they know about running a hotel. But it Truly. wasn't quite a hundred percent there, and it was so bizarre while we were staying at that place. Um, yeah, wasn't bad. Don't get me no. wrong; there was never like a moment where like, "Wow, this is awful." It was just, it was, it was very weird. I think the most bizarre experience was probably, well, the the, the sort of uh, room refresh they do every day was different <laughs> every day. Sometimes that uh, some some days they would take the soap away and not replace the soap. There'd Some be a perfectly they... good bar of soap. They take it and then not give us new soap. <laughs> and there was, I think, three days they left a couple of beer glasses, pint glasses, uh, in there. Just yeah. left them. Um, <laughs> I th- but I think the weirdest thing we witnessed was when <laughs> we came back to the room after a long day, <laughs> and uh, your bed, you you just had a sheet. On yeah, the bed. I, they took away my blanket, as far as I could tell. It was just just the sheet. I'm like, well, okay. Um, my bed was made, so you know, I lied down. And uh, very quickly realized they'd, they'd made my bed twice with Chris's blanket, which was just the strangest thing. I don't know how that happens. 
<laughs> so they made my bed twice and left you with a sheet. Or like little things like, you know, opening the window and the handle falls off out the window. Um, <laughs> oh, the fridge being hot. The fridge. We opened the fridge and it felt like an oven. Eventually it turned cold, but I don't even understand how that happens. <laughs> it was dangerous, man. The, uh, you know, not, not that this really matters, but it had a little 4-3 square television, which was fun. Yeah, the television looked more like a security monitor that they kind of like rigged into <laughs> being a television. Or how about the fact that we got two beds, but they smudged them together to be one anyhow, and like you can't move them, so it was just like one large queen bed rather than two doubles. <laughs> yeah, a tiny gap between. And yeah, the beds like are on wheels, in, so if like you ever do so slowly as the beds in. wedge apart, but like <laughs> it was weird. Also, my uh, my door key uh, opened this uh, one of the staff doors, which is just I, okay. I think you're missing one crucial thing, though, from this experience. Um, kitchen's closed. <laughs> Twice this happened. We went down once together, right? As and um, what did we say? She, a lady came up to us and said. Hey, you here for the breakfast? Or are you here for the lunch? You're, you're, are you here to eat? And we're like, yeah. And she's like, great. Kitchen's closed. <laughs> it was so <laughs> it was weird. Like, like she sat, she went to the podium. It's like she was about to bring us in. And she's like, oh, good. You're here to eat. We're like, yep, yep, perfect. And she's like, well, you can't. Kitchen's <laughs> and like then she's playing us. Away. Sick burn. Yeah, she walked off. And like we looked at first, I thought it was a joke. I think we both laughed because it's like the delivery of her. It's like, well, you can't. Kitchen's closed. <laughs> we're like. Uh, Oh, oh, she's, she's serious and she's gone. <laughs> and then uh, there was another time I sat down. I went up. <laughs> I forget the name of this dude. I went up to get some lunch. It was. It must have been about just before two o'clock. So, you know, lunch. Uh, and he sat me down. He gave me a menu. And then he brought me my coffee. And as I was going through the menu, he said, uh, kitchen's closed. I went, oh, uh, can I order now? He was like, No. He grabbed the menu, closed it off, smiled at me, and walked off. <laughs> I was like, "Dude, I was about to eat." I don't, I don't get it. And to be clear, the kitchen is supposed to be open from like seven a.m. until eleven p.m. Um, and on top of that, there's like little things like the bar is supposed to be open till whatever time, but sometimes there's like, "No, it's closed." And other times, they'd be serving you till like four a.m. <laughs> yeah, we had a couple of beers in there about four a.m. I think. Yeah, we went up at like five. Could, I could not figure out that. And there's just like a lot of little human interactions there with the staff that were just so confusing. So confusing. Well, so in that sense, I would highly recommend the Re Shoreditch um, for the experience nonetheless. Um, it's it's a fine hotel to stay in. It's not dirty or anything. It's yeah, it's clean. Pretty, the shower good area. Nice. You're close the enough to, the shower. Yeah. I mean, you're close enough to the tube stations and stuff, so it's not you're not out of there. There was but, a nice um, heated meter with some big old handprints on them, like somebody. <laughs> oh, yeah. This hotel, man. Honestly, stay and uh, ask for room 129. (laughs) Relive our experience. Yeah, get the hot fridge so you can warm up some of that food. Um, (laughs) Let's move on from the re in Shoreditch, London, and let's talk about why we were in London, other than, of course, the hotel. It was an experience. Um... So you may remember back in 2016, we interviewed Colin Trevorrow about Jurassic World. Um, we had a podcast interview with him, and at the end, he actually um, brought on special guest J.A. Bayona, which was a lot of fun. And we got to experience having a nice conversation with Colin about the movie. He got to talk in depth about some of the <coughs> aspects of it, and we ended up with a really nice interview. Mm-hmm. So we did another one. 
Sort of. So we were in the process <laughs> of uh, arranging a another podcast, and then it kind of morphed into an in-person thing. But then it ended up being that we handled the interview separately from the in-person thing. We handled the interview over email, and that was taken care of. And we just got to go um, into Pinewood. And, uh, yeah, and he... So we went to Pinewood Studios first time, um, which was really cool. Yeah. We got in, and we met with Colin in his new... I think pretty, pretty new uh, mm-hmm. offices there. And then Colin proceeded to show us all of the Jurassic World 3 uh, <laughs> plans and uh, scripts and, you know, we pretty, the movie's pretty much done. So Four, he showed five, us that. six, seven, all of them, you know. Yeah, he, he, they shot it back to back with Avatar using the same sets as Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's great, you it know. It stars it's, Nick Van Owen. Nick, <laughs> he's the lead um, along with um, Eric Kirby. Yes, yes. Um, so bringing back the characters as we hoped. And Billy Brennan. And the whole, um, well, you know, Jurassic World 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, 8, and 9, and 10 are going to be exclusive to VR headsets. Mm-hmm. So and it's pretty much a, a, a VR movie. Yes. Trilogies. It's absolutely franchise. innovative. Um, you know, dinosaurs go to war, the saga. Yeah, so it kicks off, Jurassic World 3 kicks off at the end of Fallen Kingdom directly um, with a shot of Vegas. And then all of a sudden, military helicopters fly in, blasting the Pteranodons. But when we cut inside the helicopter, it's raptors with guns. So uh, I feel like at this point, it pains me to say it, but we do have to make a disclaimer. This is all obviously a joke, because otherwise uh, I just foresee somebody not understanding that this is a joke. <laughs> I don't know what you saw when you went to Pinewood, Chris, but um, uh, yeah, no, uh, obviously, this is a joke. Um, I think more more importantly, but easy to figure that one out, because me and Chris wouldn't be happy about any of that. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm kind of game for, uh, you know, raptors with guns flying helicopters, but probably not, not in the Jurassic, Jurassic franchise. Uh, so. M- Mattel's really serious about that Dino Riders movie. Maybe that is the outlet to explore that energy. Yeah, I think it needs to. Be, I think it should probably be put somewhere else. Um, the John Sales script kind of proves that it can work, just not really within the uh, not just that we're currently in. But um, yeah, no. So we did we did go to Pinewood. We did meet with Colin. It was a really really cool experience. Um, I, I don't know, Jack. Do you want to talk more about that in, in seriousness or? No, I think we should move on. Okay. <laughs> no, it was uh, yeah no it was it was really great. Um, Colin obviously is, is wonderful at interacting with fans as we've seen online, and um, yeah it was really nice to be able to kind of have a sit down and, and chat about Jurassic Park. And I think the most important thing is uh, I asked Colin if he likes the Lost World, and he does. <laughs> and I think that kind of answers that's the biggest takeaway. That kind of answers everything I needed to know um, about everything in the world. So. Yeah, I, I mean that's all I have to say about it. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, that that part is true. I think it's going to be hard from this point forward to tell what's true and what isn't in this podcast because <laughs> we're. <laughs> I mean, we're just big jokers, aren't we, Chris? But uh, you know, <laughs> th- well, that one that one was was real. He does enjoy the Lost World, and it is. I mean, I mean, he said this so many times, but all the movies in this franchise are canon. I, it's. I don't know where this misunderstanding um, of 
people thinking that the Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 are not canon, thinking that Isla Sorna no longer exists. It's like, no, those movies are still very much canon. I have no idea what's going on with those islands, if they're still alive and kicking or what at this point, but they're canon nonetheless. They yes. haven't been written out of continuity. In fact, I mean, even the evolution of Claire makes that clear, because they're getting the dinosaurs from Isla Sorna. Colin has gone on record to say, yes, that's a canon prequel. And, and that is something that... Oh yeah, no, I was just going to confirm that point. Um, he, he, yeah, no, it was um, it was a really great chat. And, yeah. and while obviously we didn't learn about the next movie, um, we're not the kind of people that uh, would be told about that kind of thing. But it was a really, really good experience, and yeah. uh, I think the interview that coincides with our visit answers a lot of questions that uh, listeners may have about the future of the franchise and also about Fallen Kingdom. So we talked a bit about um, Emily Carmichael, who's co-writing Jurassic World 3 with Colin. Um, We talked about dinosaurs in the franchise and Mm -hmm. Chris obviously managed to sweep in a question about feathers. And uh, Jack, what, what do you think about that answer? What do you think it means? Well, I think it means what you and I have discussed before and, and what your kind of theory on it has been as soon as Colin initially said before Fallen Kingdom that, you know, other companies now have access to this technology, which means you've kind of got a Mac versus Windows type scenario going on. All this code is open source, or at least it's available. I think it means that other companies could breed whatever kind of species they want. And if... if And their techniques might be different, which would allow for some different interpretations of both existing and new species, opening the window, theoretically, for feathered animals in some capacity. But he makes it very clear in his, in the interview, which will probably be online by the time this is up, uh, that they are not in the business of retconning old designs. And no, and I think design, his... Which I'm I think his, his kind of, yeah, reason for that as well is that <clears throat> the dinosaurs that Dr. Wu made within Gen back before the incident in Jurassic Park were made with re- reptilian DNA, as we know, so which kind of explains the reptilian design. Well, Even though that was the, the science at the time and the paleontology at the time, obviously now we know some dinosaurs had feathers. So modern companies within this Jurassic Park universe could create feathered dinosaurs of certain species. I wouldn't want to see a feathered T-Rex. I wouldn't want to see a feathered Velociraptor. But um, yeah, I mean, some of the... Funkier, well, you know, weird little dinosaurs that you show us from time to time I mean, could could work really well. It's kind of funny because, like, if they were to introduce a feathered velociraptor as like a real velociraptor, it would feel like a completely different species, anyways. Like, it would be this tiny little, little medium-sized dog animal running around, nipping at the heels of like Jurassic Park velociraptor. So it would never be a um, it would never be something that would threaten its existence at the top of the food chain of Jurassic Park. You know, it would be it would be such a different thing in general. Hey, that's the name of our podcast. In general podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. But I think that's a, it's a reasonable, well, it's a great explanation actually to to what we might see. So it, while Fallen Kingdom may have ended with um, only a small number of dinosaurs being taken from this auction, there's obviously a huge, there's four years between those two movies that you don't know what happened on, somebody other poachers may have already been to the island. Um, DNA may have come off in other in other means, which means companies around the world could have been reverse engineering species 
or simply breeding new species for themselves. So we don't know what state the world is going to be in when Jurassic World 3 opens. You know, but I've speculated that speculated about that for a while on Twitter, um, about like between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, those islands were kind of left abandoned. And there was plenty of opportunities for people to come in and poach those animals, especially after the San Diego incident when they found out they existed. And um, then flash forward to the end of Jurassic World, there was also a lot of opportunities there beyond Mills. But I've also even said like, hey, there was a petting zoo. People could, you know, pet a dinosaur, get a little DNA underneath their fingernail, and then boom, they have that DNA. If they really wanted to smuggle out dinosaur DNA, they could do that. And they don't need the Hammond, Hammond uh, recreation technology at that point because it's already completed stable DNA. Um, now, however, if they came out and said, hey, we made a dinosaur, engine would probably come and say, well, let me see your DNA because they probably have little coatings that kind of are copywritten or something along those lines. Um, so they probably publicly couldn't say but I totally can see a world where it's like, oh, by the way, other people are making dinosaurs, but now that InGen and Mizrani are finished, at least I assume they're finished. Do we even know if they're finished? Well, Dr. Wu under Jurassic World was never working for InGen. Well, okay, that's a broad statement. He InGen in the Jurassic World movie is more of a military op compared to... They're, they're like a private military outing of them. kind of thing, yeah. Um, that are sort of working with Masrani, but kind of that's very it's kind of unclear well, I in mean, that well, sense. Masrani acquired Engine, and Engine were it's like they it's like Masrani kind of adopted the genetic program into Masrani's own programs, and they kind of focused Engine on the private security aspect. At least that was sort of my um my take on it. But mm. and then none, nonetheless, what I'm saying is, I'm assuming after the events of Jurassic World, those companies maybe not may not have the um. The claim over their proprietary genetic technology. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, well, that wasn't discussed. Yeah, it was never discussed. Time. So I'm actually kind of curious because I'm saying this now, and then I'm thinking like, well, maybe I'm just still kind of wrong on this. Maybe it is still sort of like a CD illegal operation type of thing. That, um, these people can't really do. So Colin ended his statement with, that leads to innovation and new opportunities for us to introduce species that represent the full spectrum of our knowledge, which hints at. We know so much more now about dinosaurs, which means feathered dinosaurs could be something that we see. On top of that, there was just a uh, Jack Horner interview where Jack Horner said, uh, yeah, there's feathers in Jurassic World 3. <laughs> no way. Yeah. You know, good old, good old Jack Horner. So, uh, removing any ambiguity from the equation. Uh-huh. <laughs> um... Now, given he's also said that uh, the Jurassic, uh, right before, when Jurassic World was filming, he was like, oh, I was on set, and if they make dinosaurs without feathers, then I wouldn't be, you know, a good paleontological supervisor. And then it's obviously... Jack, yeah. Jack Horner, <laughs> you know. He's a good guy. Good, really <laughs> fun guy. Um, but, so, that's uh, sorry I'm pulling up the questions here but he's not a filmmaker I guess is what I should say <clears throat> he's not the filmmaker so he's not the one ultimately in charge of these decisions so I guess some of the end of Fallen Kingdom may be something that people worry a little bit about um, we asked the question many assume Jurassic World 3 will feature dinosaurs terrorizing cities and suburbs um, with fans referring to properties like Godzilla and Planet of the Apes um we kind of asked, do you plan to keep the dinosaurs in the wilder, more untamed landscapes? Um, and Colin gave a really great answer to mm -hmm. something. Um, it was I, the answer I wanted. It got me really excited. So he said, 
I just have no idea what would motivate dinosaurs to terrorize a city. They can't organize. Right now we've got lethal predators in wild areas surrounding cities all over the world. They don't go pack hunting for humans in urban areas. The world I get excited about, and this is what excites me, is the one where it's possible that a dinosaur might run out in front of your car on a foggy back road or invade your campground looking for food. A world where dinosaur interaction is unlikely, but possible, the same way we watch out for bears and sharks. We hunt animals, we traffic them, we herd them, we breed them, we invade their territory and we pay the price, but we don't go to war with them. If that was the case, we'd have lost the war a long time ago. And I think, again, that dispels any rumours about dinosaurs in war or dinosaurs with guns. (laughs) But um, it's great. I mean, it's that one line, the one where you might hit a dinosaur it might run out in front of your car on a foggy back road that's that's we're getting into bigfoot territory now or even just you know grizzly bear um you know no, they're bigfoot. out there but bigfoot <laughs> jack and his bigfoot um <laughs> bigfoots there's loads of them but uh-huh. yeah no I, I i like that that image alone a foggy back road at night through a through a forest you know in upstate well further up in california or even if we're going up into canada mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing I'd want to see. Imagine a raptor darting out and there being this whole wait. Did did we just see, see a that? velociraptor? You know, like that's wait. the the realism behind it. These animals, once they're out in the open and they're free from any human captivity, they're not going to gravitate towards humans. They're going to gravitate to what the wilds. In the wild, yeah. Animals are naturally very shy. Um, you know, they, they like their they, they enjoy their space and their safety and their seclusion and they uh you know favor environments that uh offer what they need evolutionarily and uh, that's that was the answer that i wanted because you know there's been long been the assumption online everyone kind of assumes it's going to be you know dinosaurs in the suburbs and so on and while i mean it's always possible that the plot might find a way to push a sequence into something like that it's not the movie no. The only one, I guess, with <laughs> the way that Pteranodons act in both Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, for the most part, um, they'll attack a city because they seem like bloodthirsty. Like They just rem- seem like... <laughs> they seem kind of... I mean, especially the Jurassic World ones, they seem just like hungry, dumb, almost like a fish or like a pelican or something. Just kind of like... Or a pigeon, a pigeon. Um, but like an aggressive pigeon that can eat you. No, there's no wonder they went to, you know, they ended up in Vegas. That was no coincidence. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're going to party. Yeah, seriously. No. Um, but I love it as well. You think about... Curious. Were they just passing through? You know, are they going to find an environment that better suits them, end up in like the Florida Everglades? That's the thing, because there'd be a year or so if these pteranodons are migrating. Uh, three years, where people I assume, would because... Well, yeah. Cause, well, people would see them and then it would be the whole... is. Did we really see that? And then it would be this mystery creature that people across America are seeing, depending on which way they're flying. Um, some people might get footage. Some people might get pictures. And you've got this whole kind of awesome, mysterious story about these dinosaurs living in the real world, where I guess if the U.S. government are aware that this has happened or any government is aware, they're going to be trying to limit <laughs> civil unrest in regards to this. And it opens up the whole, I mean, I think that is a continuation of the debate for um, dinosaur rights, animal rights, you know. So now you have this major issue of an invasive species, but what is the appropriate response? Um, You know, is the appropriate response immediately and only lethal action? 
Is it um, trying to round them? Like, you know, what? how do you handle something like this? What is the precedent um, now that they're on soil that necessarily it has animal rights laws? So, like, how, how is it handled? So I imagine it would kind of spiral into a lot of debates, each with probably equal merit. And, you know, we brought this topic up with, with Colin in our chat. I said there was an interview with Colin a while, while back where he said, imagine a world where there is a certain forest or jungle in the real world that people don't go into because there's a pack of raptors in there or there's a dinosaur in that forest so people naturally stay away from it that's the world that excites me um, and that's the same as potentially having a, a dinosaur run out on a foggy back road mm-hmm. it, it's the it's the mystery and the elusiveness of these creatures um, which is part of what made the original movie so great is that they can kind of hide and they hunt you mm-hmm. And they, they feel like animals it, like many, in the original movie. You know, they're not yeah. bloodthirsty animals. They're not bloodthirsty monsters, but they're animals, and they can be lethal. And there's a certain yeah. wild and unpredictable sense, and it's oftentimes what you don't see, which leaves you a little, um, a little on edge. It's that unknown factor. Are they there? Are they watching? Are they not there? Um, yeah, yeah. And that's exciting to me, as well as the prospect of now other companies, I guess, you know, the whole open source comment, which is funny because that actually dates back to um, pre-release chatter for Jurassic World 2. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, exciting prospect there. It'd be really interesting if we could finally circle back to uh, Dodson's story arc to see if uh, something like Biosyn or a company that they make up that still has something to do with Dodson um, coming into play. That would kind of... Well, that, that would make a great sort of prequel spin-off type story where we have Biosyn's team heading to New Blast somewhere between or somewhere after the events of Jurassic Park before the Lost World or before Mizrani had anything to do with those islands sneaking DNA off and secretly all this time they've been breeding their own subspecies you don't even need to I mean yes that would be awesome but we wouldn't even need to see that I mean I would love to be oh no we gotta see that I I would like to to New Blast in the 90s that now that (laughs) I want that and I also want Sauna in the in the 80s in the 80s before her in the yeah well, well before you know when they were still breeding there an operational sauna could you imagine yeah i'm curious so i mean there's obviously a timeline which can uh be heavily referenced especially with the amazonic um, global website but i'm very curious on like you know now with uh, fallen kingdom and the concept of a lot of preliminary work was done in uh lockwood's you know basement essentially um i'm, I'm very curious to you know to know how long these uh, prospects were going on and to be honest i can't imagine hammond and lockwood buying multiple islands for dinosaurs before they found out yes we can clone them um mm. so i don't know there's there's so many stories to be told in this universe um whether or not we actually see them or we just kind of see the puzzle pieces align in present day um yeah. I, i'm definitely fascinated but I, I definitely would like to see a continuation of a dots and story i mean obviously you'd recast them but you know, I'd still like to see a continuation of that story. Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the questions we asked was, will the visual style of Jurassic World 3 be influenced by what J.A. Bayona and Oscar Fora brought to the table? Now, Fallen Kingdom is one of the one of the most well-shot Jurassic movies. They're, they're all well-shot. All the cinematographers involved with the franchise have been incredible. But Fallen Kingdom had a real special look to it. Um, Almost like and a Oscar Fora and story yeah. book style. Towards the end, it really did. Um, stuff on the island was really nice. Bayona and Oscar Fora really, really shot that well. Um, so I wondered, 
uh, sort of why Colin had decided to work with John Schwarzman again after seeing the difference between Jurassic World and Fallen Kingdom, both just completely different styles. Um, and Colin kind of, kind of, kind of mentioned how he says they achieved something so gorgeous to look at. My instinct is to now break the classical language of these films a bit and plunge us into a world that feels real and natural, naturalistic. I want to go outside these envi- Oh wait, no, what is he? <laughs> I'm misreading. I want to go outside into environments we've never seen these animals in. I'm watching a lot of planet Earth. So I, I kind of gather from that he wants to really... It's going to feel much closer, much more um, almost first-person-y. You're going to... You, I feel like he wants us to be way more involved, way more on the ground, and way more... I think planet Earth... It really alludes to that naturalistic sense of the animals. And uh, there, there's something beautifully poignant about planet Earth. And you just kind of get out there in the mud and the muck. And then you have these beautiful swooping types of shots, which are also very unique. I think that we're really going to get this feeling of just like being in the environment. Well, I guess that is sort of what you're saying. Although like just feeling the world around you, really appreciating the world necessarily. Not just, not just the set piece, the action, but also just the environment that these dinosaurs are living in. And uh, what I yeah. hope that means is we might also see these dinosaurs in some very beautiful and unique locations that we haven't seen them in before. Agreed. And I hope it means, you know, I hope that the ending sort of sequence of Jurassic World was not really a uh, personal favorite of mine. It, it, the way it was shot was too almost, it was just this big spectacle, a camera was floating around, and it wasn't really from anybody's perspective at this point. It was as if there was a helicopter circling them. I kind of would love to to avoid that, especially if we we're in a much grittier environment. We're in a it's not a big theme park anymore. I think that would that that kind of shot wouldn't wouldn't really suit. I, I I'd like to see more um, gritty on the ground cinematography. Yeah, although I mean, gritty and Planet Earth. I'm not sure if I would necessarily connect those two together. I would say maybe oh raw. no, absolutely. maybe raw. Would be a I guess, but I guess by planet Earth though, because you couldn't really have, you know, in planet Earth that the super extreme close-up shot with a very long lens, where a pinpoint, um, pinpoint uh, focus on this animal that's tiny, you couldn't have that exactly with Jurassic Park, but it kind of is reminiscent of the shot of the snake and the Velociraptor that's hunting Muldoon. You've got that kind of shot through the jungle, almost mm-hmm. blink if you miss the raptor. You but, see what you, I mean? You know I, mean I mean, have you watched a lot of Planet Earth? Oh yeah, I love. Planet I would Earth. say a lot of the shots are also those big swooping shots, though. And then you get intimate, and then of you have planes these, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Then you have these beautiful kind of like shots of like the planes and the animals are out there meandering around, and it's like almost if you framed a person though, and what the person is doing, but then it has the backdrop or that is the foreground. I could almost imagine that. It just kind of did you ever see? I'm not sure if it was Planet Earth series or not, but it was called The Hunt, and it was all about animals hunting, and it was it was the Planet Earth team, I believe. It was it was definitely. Um, I think I caught that on Netflix. Yeah, so that had some. Uh, all I could think of with that was raptors out in the open hunting, because it was following. If I remember correctly, it was a long time I, I saw it. If I remember correctly, it was following a pack of. Was it? Were they leopards? No. Something like that. But they were hunting, and it was this really long sequence where you had, like, you know, helicopter shots flying over them, showing this sequence. And all I could think of was Velociraptors. And I, I thought that would suit so well. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's something we we may see. Uh, 
Yeah, and I mean, that, that's something that I've also kind of always caught the vibe of, of uh, in like those documentaries where you have these beautiful shots where you see the wolves hunting um, bison, and you know, you have those shots tracking over top of them and then alongside them, and you just kind of see these coordinated pack hunting. Everything that you see is beautiful and wild and raw, and you're just like, damn, this is what animals look like when they hunt, and it's nuts, but it's also beautiful almost. And scary. Yeah. But beautiful it's scary yeah it's it's raw um yeah so there was another question where we asked about um uh did any so the question was did any fan and or critical feedback to jurassic world help shape your approach to writing fallen kingdom um and there was a really interesting answer where he reveals that the uh auction sequence was originally written as a dirty, unsavory bunch of animal traffickers huddled in a basement trading lives for money, uh, and that Biona's vision of that scene was what we see in the movie, a much more upplayed, flashy spectacle. And it was interesting, um, the two differences there. I mean, personally, would have preferred the grittier approach, but um, that wasn't Bayona's vision for the movie. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that that's, uh, it's, it's interesting though, because I think, so interplaying though with the question, um, sorry, I need to open that up in front of me. Uh, interplaying with the question though itself, it's, um, you know, the, how, how does that shape though to his feed, to the feedback, I guess is my question. Well, um, uh, so the question the answer was we definitely took a turn into the darker side of Jurassic Park with that script the first film was a bright colorful pop adventure with Fallen Kingdom we were looking to explore the uglier side of humanity and our cruel treatment of living creatures uh, but I think Bayona kept us from going too far. He embraced the darker elements, but also brought his own sense of playfulness and humor to the proceedings when we initially wrote the dinosaur auction etc etc and he says I think it played much better for kids and that's the right choice when balanced against the poor treatment of animals we were seeing, it could have become very sad. That is, that's actually a lot of commentary I hear from people who uh, didn't like Fallen Kingdom. A lot of times, a lot of casual viewers are saying it was just too sad. I didn't like it, it was too sad. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't get that. It balanced it relatively well. Yeah, oh, I, but... I, think that it balanced, I think that it probably went a little too playful, but not that there's anything inherently wrong with playfulness. Just sometimes the timing of it um, kind of hit me with some whiplash. And, <laughs> yeah. and it sometimes just felt almost like kind of suspense of disbelief breaking for me personally. Um, you know, like the Sinoceratops licking over the wake or whatnot. Um, uh, but yeah, no, 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 I, I agree. So Colin went on to say, the fans keep my compass pointed in the right direction. Deep fans watch movies differently than the casual viewer, the same way critics watch films differently than the general audience. None of them are wrong, so I do a lot of listening. And every year, more dinosaur fans are born. Are borns? Are born. <laughs> These movies need to work simultaneously for those kids, for adults who love the old films, and for a diverse global audience, including some who didn't even have American movies available to them when the first film came out. It's a delicate balance. Um... And he feels like he's made a, a mix of bold choices and safe ones. Hopefully, once his tenure is done... Yeah, he says, hopefully, once my tenure is done, the fans will look back and feel like I was a careful custodian. And I think um, Jurassic World 3 sounds like, after this interview, 
may go down a direction that um, fans like you and I have wanted to see. Uh, I mean, so it's 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 interesting um, because it's really hard to put a pinpoint on what it is we want to see. I, I don't think it's something that we can necessarily vocalize by specific metrics, rather than. It's just overall Jurassic Park was such a special movie because it wasn't too action heavy. It was smart, but it was fun. It was adventurous, but it was dark. It was playful, but, you know, it, it took itself seriously. And it had all these sort of contrasting elements. And I think it balanced them perfectly. I guess it's just sort of something that we're looking for. Uh, similarly, you and I had an interesting debate of whether or not we would want a, you know, if Jurassic Park would we want a rated R Jurassic Park. And we both agreed that we wanted a Jurassic Park that took itself a lot more seriously. But, you know, I kind of was more team, like, hey, I think it could stay PG-13. I'd rather say PG-13. And you were like, you kind of ventured, like, no, we can push it further. Well, I think if Jurassic Park was released now, it wouldn't be a PG. But it was never it would PG be... in the US, to be fair. What was it, PG-13? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it would be, I think it would be pushed higher. Oh, no, it? Jurassic Park would, no. We, we got... I think I think it would be. Think about movies that are censored these days and the kind of movies that are... We don't get a lot of censorship in the U.S. unless it's like sex and violence. Like sex yeah, and there's sexual more, violence, I think there's more censorship in the U.S. than there is for the BBFC in the U.K. I don't think so. I don't really know of any big uh, violence-related uh, movies or related movies that got censored. Yeah, I mean, even uh, Overlord. No, it was wasn't censored. That just apparently Paul didn't think that, that was very gory. I think it was censored, man. Uh, BBFC cut things very differently to the way the US do. But No, we, I, I mean, mean, I'm telling you, we really don't get gore censored over here. We really don't. Strange. It's, it's, mainly, sex, well, it's I, mainly nudity and sexual-related content. I think um, the main movies would never never need to go R-rated, but I, I would love to see a spin-off or something in the same universe that's rated R for the very sense of... I think that's more like the book and I just feel like it could be done I, I, I also agree with you that it doesn't need to but for a spin-off or something in the same universe down the line I'd happily take an R-rated Jurassic I think it would be more in touch with the book yeah you know what that's interesting the book very much if you did a one-to-one adaptation of the book it would very much be a rated R movie there is no doubt about it um, I, still I think there's think... scope for it you know the franchise is dinosaurs and humans together, you could very easily go R-rated with it. it. There are there are multiple stories to be told, and and ideally multiple stories to be told after Jurassic World three. I mean, personally, in terms of like violence, and this is something I said, and this is just a personal take. I, and of course, it might actually prove your point because it's in a rated R film. But the furthest I would like to see it go is like the Paratax scene in the Revenant. Um, I think that that is the perfect, vivid um, way to kind of showcase you really want to push it to the extreme what it's like to be attacked by an animal. And then, of course, in the Jurassic Park movie, that case is a dinosaur. Um, yeah, but yeah I it's think, less I think about Jurassic gore Park and blood. I, I, don't need to see, I don't need to see intestines being held and hanging out somebody's stomach. But, um, yeah, seems like the reverend. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I still think that possibly that bear attack scene without the rest of the movie in it could possibly be in a PG-13 film but I'm not entirely certain because I don't know the exact the exact metrics of it um, oh you know what though to, to sorry I just lost my train of thought but ultimately I feel that um, Jurassic Park does a beautiful job the film of interpreting the tone that serious tone of Jurassic Park the novel but you know making yes. it PG-13 rather than rated R and I think that uh, there's just a case to be put or that I would just be happy with slightly more serious um, films 
like Jurassic Park in, in the future. I would love and the Lost World, which is even a, a, a tad darker. Or yeah, exactly to to an extent, yeah. So we talked to Colin um, about that, and we talked to him about the kind of expanded universe that Jurassic Park is is now, or that Jurassic World is now building. So we've had um, we've had smaller things like the VR experience. I say smaller; it's uh, that was one of the best things that has come out of this this franchise, the Felix and Paul VR experience, the, the one that you follow blue on her, the one that you follow blue, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Um, we've also had games. Uh, console and mobile games so we had Jurassic World Evolution Frontier we had the Ludia um, games on phones which are just pay to play uh, we had Lego Jurassic World which was cool yeah. um, and I think Colin has been working a lot behind the scenes to ensure that even after Jurassic World 3 is done there will be content I mean I think it's just kind of obvious when you see these like uh licensing agreements with Mattel and Lego and so on, or even things like Jurassic World, the exhibition and uh, more, you know, when they enter in, when they announce these projects, they talk about like an eight year plan and so on. It's like, you realize that things are definitely like, there's a sustainability program in process. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's exciting. And evolution is a great example for like a triple A video game. Finally, in terms of quality and budget. And I would love to see something like that with Jurassic World survivor, that game that, so close into being and then kind of dropped off the face of the earth um i'm hopeful last of us style game yeah i'm hopeful that something like that will come into being and what's cool about the jurassic world video games is we really haven't caught wind of them until moderately soon before release so it's very possible that like we might be surprised by a video game next year or the year after that's what i'm hopeful for i do hope so obviously there's dlcs coming or there will be new dlcs coming for um, Jurassic World Evolution, but uh, it's while that's a great park builder, yeah, I want to see a, 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 a Last of Us style Last survival of Us, Alien game. Isolation, something that really yeah, puts, yeah. puts the emphasis on adventure, exploration. I don't need to shoot survival. at dinosaurs, and I know that's something Universal don't want us to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, survival is different. Exactly. Last of Us is different. Gun is a last resort in The Last of Us, and I think that's that would be the same in, in this case. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, that that is the route to go for. I think that you can really explore some really great things that way. So you can check out the rest of the interview on DressCoutPost.com. It's a really great interview, so huge thanks to Colin and his team for, for setting this one up and for, and for speaking with us. Um, any further thoughts on that, Chris? Um, I, I think I just want to emphasize that, you know, we both kind of said this on Twitter today. Um, we're both really excited for the future of the franchise. Um, probably the most we've been in a long time. Uh and that's, I mean, it's funny because that makes it almost seem like I didn't like Jurassic World, and I like Jurassic World, but just something about it feels very reinvigorating and very fresh moving forward, and it sort of was, it's sort of the breath of air that I've kind of wanted to hear from the franchise, and I kind of feel like I'm, like, we're moving towards that, and uh, that, that has me, it has me quite excited. Yeah, I, I hope so too. I, um, yeah, I've been hoping for a, a movie that's a slightly more suspenseful and has thriller aspects more than um, Fallen Kingdom, more than Jurassic World had. Um, something that's a little bit more in line with the first two movies. And I, and I, you know, we understand that the Hollywood is very different now. And the way movies are made is, is very different, especially for big blockbuster franchises like this. So I'm just hoping that this world that Colin is building and Jurassic World 3 and potential future spin-offs, if they ever do it, or if they ever go down a similar route to Star Wars, um, I hope we 
see more of those aspects return. I hope it gets a bit more suspenseful. I hope we are able to get a bit more contained with the story. I, I said this um, to Colin, actually, that the interview he um, did where he said about there's a forest with raptors in and, and there's a border. People just don't go into that forest. It, it becomes f like law. It becomes um, almost, is there something in there? Um, that's a story in itself. That's a, that's a spin-off movie. And I, I would love, I would love to see something along those lines. Also, imagine, imagine an opening scene set if these dinosaurs are now in the human world, but they are discreet and they hide. Imagine the opening scene of a family driving down a road at night, or somebody driving down a road at night, and they hit a raptor, or they hit a species of dinosaur. They get out, and it's like, what the hell is this? They tie it to the roof. They start driving. <laughs> it wakes up. It's Harry and the Hendersons, but it's blue. <laughs> But it's blue. Uh blue and the Hendersons. <laughs> blue and the Grady's. That could, it could be called that. Blue and the Kirby's. You know what? Blue and the Kirby's. I'll take it. Um yeah, no. I think that there's a lot there's a, there's so much you can play with uh with a variety of different genres and it's exciting. Uh I think the story has a lot of prospect in that direction. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of hopeful. It was, uh, I think, in another interview that Colin said that he wanted to bring back the techno-thriller aspects, um, science techno-thriller aspects of Jurassic Park into Jurassic World 3. I believe we covered that on Outpost as well. Um, that, that has me excited, because I think that there was a certain very unique interplay that Jurassic Park achieves um, that, uh, I don't know, just, it incorporates the science and these characters that are more serious into the plot in such a relatable way, um, as opposed to kind of your average Joes or more playful characters, um, which I guess Owen isn't much of an average Joe, nor is Claire, but they feel a little bit more, you know, one sort of your rough and, rough and raw American, and the other ones, you know, kind of somebody who worked corporate uh, in a very tough job and who is now just trying to make the world a bit of a better place. Uh, but, you know, with Grant, you had this sort of personality-wise ambiguous uh, paleontologist. Sattler, you know, you had this incredibly intelligent and outgoing and smart person. Malcolm, you had whatever the hell Malcolm is, just <laughs> an enigma um, of Jeff Goldblum. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think that but each of those characters were played pretty straight. I'd say uh, the most humor came from Jeff Goldblum, but it was very reserved, kind of raw, dry, and sarcastic. Yeah, and I think as well, those movies were obviously about paleontologists and scientists that had never, you know, dinosaurs didn't exist anymore. They dug them up and then they were suddenly thrown into a world where they're almost, you could say, dreams, the things they studied, now are in front of them. And and that's something you can't really have in a, in, in a modern Jurassic Park, obviously, because, you know, dinosaurs have existed for a long time now. Um but it would be nice to see a paleontologist, a scientist, or a veterinary nurse, or somebody who even worked on the island as, as a lead character. Um, uh, yeah. Somebody that maybe has previous experience with them, other than training velociraptors or something similar. Um, or somebody that never got the chance to go to the island. Well, I guess that was from... Sia. Never getting the chance to go to the island. Which is, yeah. you know. But yeah, Strange I, in I, itself. I agree. I think that we need to get somebody that's a little bit more qualified to tumble around with the dinosaurs yeah and i, I don't need a big macho man for the lead no because the originals never had a big I, macho i don't need any uh prolonged tracking shot fight scenes 
Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think um, I think that pretty much summarizes everything with the interview. There's obviously slightly more online if you check it out on Dress Outpost. Um, and yeah, there'll be some new fun stuff coming to the Outpost very soon. Yeah. Is there a are there any other small subjects? I mean, we 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 took an extended break from the podcast. And we're back. So I yeah. realized that there are probably a thousand things that we haven't talked about that people probably wanted to hear our input on. But I think that most of the things, if they're in the past firmly, we're going to move past them and look to the future. Absolutely. Um, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on now that we kind of have reawakened uh, the podcast from its hibernation? Um. I guess there was the... I'm just going through the front page now. There was the interview that Bayona will not have an official role with Jurassic World 3 um, but did say himself that he would love to return to the franchise in the future I mean I think that's exciting I think Bayona could do fun things with the franchise so hey if there is if there is an outlet for that and he wants to do it and it makes sense then you know count me in I'll be there um, absolutely <laughs> and uh, uh, Mattel with their uh, they're up for the toy awards of uh 2018, I believe, uh, for the Jurassic toy line. Go ahead and vote for that because I, in my firm belief, I believe they're fully qualified to win that award. And uh, the Jurassic World toys this year have just continued to innovate and refresh and be put out for really affordable prices and just continuously expand. And, you know, already the 2019 toys are landing on store shelves and they're looking great. And there's a lot of cool new species. So that's exciting. Uh, and speaking of uh, affordable, in the not so affordable category, there is some wonderful Chronicle collectibles um, that have been announced. Unfortunately, Chronicle they are very high quality. They are high, highly priced. There's a Rotunda Rex. Um, I'm not a fan of it. Of it doesn't look right. See, I, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think it's really great. It has, it's the classic stance at the end of Jurassic Park when dinosaurs rule the earth. Um, it's got a. It's got a giant. It's got a beautiful base you can't deny that oh base the base is, is one of the most beautiful bases i've seen on a jurassic park piece ever actually yeah chronicle have nailed the base there it's it's really really nice um the t-rex what's what's wrong with the rex chris you tell me it just the body the proportion there's just like little things about the design itself that just looks kind of chunky and weird i don't know it doesn't look i i i would have to probably take it look at it in person compare it but just like to my eyes is the design doesn't quite look like it's right the next piece they did was a sexy Malcolm piece (laughs) now this I I feel like how much was this in the end like $400 or something ridiculous so I feel like it's $600 oh Jesus Christ so I feel like this piece is something that everybody would want you know the whole sexy Malcolm thing there was a massive massive sexy Malcolm in London big yeah, yeah. big statue put up at the Thames um, this, that's the kind of thing people want on their desk and that's why people are buying the Funko Pop um, this sexy Malcolm this realistic you know really good looking sexy Malcolm on the Jurassic Park base could be a hundred dollars I would not go even further and say do it the way they did that Think Geek uh, T-Rex for 60 bucks. So they got yeah, down to the gold one. Stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way to yeah. do something like that. Do, uh, a meme, a novelty it's, it's item a really, like that. Really, it's a really great piece, but I, I feel like it's slightly too big. Way too big and way too expensive. No, people want it around yeah. 12 inches long and they want <clears> to go to you know, put it on their desk. Yeah, I feel like that could be and really great. Affordable but, for you know, everybody. That You know, like 60 bucks. Like, yeah, it's, it's a chunk of cash, but... It, it, 
it's something that you like you can do you can easily afford it yeah now there's also um iron studios unveiled an incredible jurassic park velociraptors in the kitchen everything iron studios has been doing has been completely up my alley i've been blown away i think that their sculpts have been the most accurate i think their paint jobs have been the most accurate i think their prices are incredibly competitive tim tim's tim's like everything about tim's gray except the face yeah i will agree tim could use a little bit of work it's a little um but the raptors themselves are absolutely gorgeous i want those raptors on their own yeah no well i think those are so do they okay yeah because those are so similar to the i mean they look they're perfect they look like the animatronic yeah no they literally are perfect and on top of that iron studios has just been they've been teasing a new piece i believe um i think it's hammond with a brachiosaurus oh wow if you head to their instagram iron studios on instagram let me take a look at this how does it look it's just been a tease. See, they're good at teasing. Yeah. They do some really cool teasing. Because uh, CCXP, which I attended last year, um, it's either occurring now or it's coming soon. I think it's coming soon. I believe that's where they're going to unveil their new uh, Jurassic statue. Oh, wow. I didn't even see that. Look at Grant. That's brilliant. And do you see the Hammond with the Brachio? <laughs> Hammond, that's the one I'm looking at. It's Hammond looking up at the Brachio. That's, it's going to be huge. That's real nice. Yeah, that's real nice, right? Yeah. So that's going to be a beautiful okay. piece. Okay, I didn't I didn't know that one was coming. That's real good. And then, of course, there's also uh, Prime 1 who are doing some great Jurassic pieces. Um, again, I feel like for the prices, they look great. They're expensive. But I feel like the overall quality kind of matches up. Um I've never had, like, where I've looked at the Iron Studios and Prime 1, I, each time I look at the price in the final product, I go, yeah, no, you know what, that's fair. Um, it seems right in the ballpark of, there's also a range of them, so if you want something for 120 you can get something for 120 If you want something for 800 you can get something for 800 I feel like they're offering a very healthy range of items that you feel align with what you want and you have choice, and it also seems fair. Agreed. Yeah, there's some really nice stuff out there. But I mean, it's great to see that there's a number of licensed carriers now. There's a number of companies creating Jurassic products. That's exactly what we wanted. It's variety and it allows people to kind of mix up their collection and buy things that they have wanted for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Mattel is more in my price range personally, but uh, I love love the occasional high quality uh, statue. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Chris. It's been great speaking to you. Yes, uh, and it's been it's been fun having the podcast, uh, recording a podcast again. Yeah, let's do this. Uh, you know, see you in another year. Yeah, <laughs> but honestly, to our listeners out there, we do apologize for the for the delay in uh, in another podcast. Sometimes you know what it's like. Everybody knows what life is like, but we uh, we are back to it. We we are back to it, and it was fun. Yeah, talking Jurassic with you again. Um, yeah, so let's do this regularly. Uh, hopefully there will be some things to talk about. Neither one of us have seen uh, the Lego short film yet, so we'll talk about the next time we podcast. Sounds good. All right. All right, thank you for listening, See guys. You. Check out JurassicOutpost.com for more. Bye.